and welcome to Stacia Adjacent, a podcast at the intersection of analog and digital productivity. I'm Justin Twyford and joined as always by my friend and co-host Stu Lennon. Hey Stu, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you Justin. How are you? I'm doing great for this early in the morning and still working on my cup of coffee. So let's get right into a productive day. Uh, some follow-up. What have you got, Stu? Uh, yeah, I wanted to say a thank you and a hello to Harry and Dave at the Homework Podcast, who who gave us a mention last week. It's a very long-running podcast that sort of took took a long hiatus, a couple of personnel changes, as they say. But it, it's a really good listen. But if you like this, you're going to like that. It's mm-hmm. it's designed for people working from home, which is well, almost everybody at the moment. And they do have some great podcasting voices as well. Oh, they do. H.C. Marks, he's, he's got uh, an incredible sort of deep baritone, isn't it? If he was, if he was here, he'd be Welsh, I think. H.C. <laughs> Marks. Yeah, he's got he's got just a wonderful voice. You can just listen to him. They they both do, but uh, Harry's. Uh, you know, we know we know Harry from uh, the stationary community as well. So, uh, great guy, and you you know him a little bit better. You've worked on his other podcast too, right? Yeah, Harry wrote a um, a sort of, I suppose, a radio play, a serialized radio play called um, The Shelf Life. That's it, The Shelf Life sitcom. So, uh, yeah, I appeared in that. He very kindly asked me to to play a part, and it was oh, it was great fun. It's something I'd never done before. I really enjoyed it. And <clears throat> yes, Harry, still waiting for the script for season two. I know you're busy, Harry, but come on, come along. <laughs> And then the second, uh, the second follow-up was well, just thanks to TJ who who joined and just elevated last week's episode for us. That was a blast. Uh, you know, I've listened to TJ on the radio for many, many times. Exchanged the occasional Slack message with him, but I've never actually talked to him in person. And we just had a really, really fun episode. It just flowed. It was a lot of laughs. It was a lot of fun. So, uh, thanks, TJ. Really appreciate it. Thank you, TJ. Right then, tool of the week. What's your tool of the week then? Oh, my tool of the week is a very, very organized co-host who is doing this thing called day theming. I hardly turned around after the last episode, which incidentally was a three-person edit and took up most of my weekend. (laughs) And the show notes were up, ready to go. There was a theme. There was, it was just incredible. So uh, thank you, Stu. Uh, Day theming gets a thumbs up from my side of the Atlantic. (laughs) <laughs> okay. To follow up on your tool, I have made a slight amendment to the to the theme. Just now, I was just switching around a couple of days. So it used to be Monday was writing and Tuesday was sales. Now it's Monday is sales and Tuesday is writing. There we go. I'm, I'm sure there are people that are absolutely fascinated. The reason that I've done that is that Tuesday, I have a full day in front of the screen and I want writing to go up my priority list. So um, it gets a full day on Tuesday. Mm. There you are. A declaration of intent. I guess my one question on that one, and uh, you know, I, I apologize for asking this in advance. In Canada, many of our statutory holidays fall on Monday, and anything that you actually plan on a Monday can get messed up at least once a month. How is the Cypriot calendar and is that going to be a challenge? Will you lose a day of sales activity and how are you going to handle those? Well, first thing I would say is that the days do remain flexible on the whole. So I would be able to switch in and out. I think generally I'm, 
I'm only reporting to myself on most of uh, most of my tasks. But yeah, you you make a good point. Um, statutory holidays in Cyprus probably do lean towards Mondays, but they also occur whenever they they fancy. They're quite strict on dates, so the date is the date rather than it's the first Monday close to the day. Mm-hmm. And yet, yeah, generally speaking, I would be able to switch those around to the extent that writing I can do any time, any day, you know, whether, whether the world is open or not. Mm-hmm. And I do, uh, truth be told, I do sneak in a bit of writing during the weekend as well, particularly if, if Mrs. L is otherwise engaged and I can sort of guiltlessly go and disappear into my, my little writing room. But yeah, the sometimes sales activity on a Monday can be uh, difficult anyway, because everybody else is really busy on a Monday. So it does depend. There are certain elements of sales that I would drop into other days because they're kind of time specific. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to cold call somebody nine o'clock on a Monday morning. No, I would recommend you don't <laughs> because they don't want to hear from you. <laughs> um, I mean, they don't want to hear from you at the best of times, but they certainly don't want to hear from you at, at nine o'clock on a Monday morning. But there's, there's other activities. So it's a work in progress, I would say. See, you've already thought about all that. And here was me mm. thinking I'd be smart. First time for anything. Well, I, what's your tool of the week, Stu? It's, it's a new, not new. Um, I, a long time ago, I must be a couple of months at least, ordered some merch from another podcast, uh, the Mac Power Users, that I know you listen to too. Mm-hmm. And uh, this year, in a departure from the sort of standard t-shirt and baseball cap, uh, they had a mug done, a custom uh, Yeti. Um, which I'm sure you're probably more aware of than I am, but it's a, it's a sort of thermal mug. Mm-hmm. It is. Yes. Very nice ones. And it's a big one. Um, I do, it's probably something in, in ounces, but I'm guessing it's, it's, it's more than half a liter. Oh, wow. That is a large one. Yeah. Uh, so it keeps my drinks cold, which right now is very important because we're very, very hot. Justin, it's 37 degrees here. You sent me the forecast uh, last night, and I just about fell out of my bed as I was uh, reading it because, wow, you're in for a hot spell. Yeah, I mean, I went to bed just just the other night. It was last night or the night before, and um, we have air conditioning in the bedroom, thankfully, and it has a function whereby it tells you the room temperature. So as I turned on the air conditioning, thinking, okay, I'll just cool the room down before we come to bed. The temperature in the bedroom was 32 degrees centigrade. Uh, not a whole lot of sleeping in that one. Yeah, no. Ooh, yes. <laughs> so I went back out to Margaret and said, we're going to have another glass of water, <laughs> watch another episode of TV, then we'll go to bed. <laughs> wow. Crazy, crazy times. So yeah, it's a lovely thing. It's, it's the Yeti Rambler for those that follow these things. With the beautiful little logo of the half-used battery from an iPhone, I think, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's it's kind of the empty battery, I suppose you would say. Okay. Um, because it's it's just the outline, uh, but it's very understated. Only those that know would know, if you see what I mean. Which is perfect. That's my type of branding. I like that. I was actually thinking about this the other day. I was doing my laundry, and I've realized that my entire wardrobe has gone from business casual to uh, well, we're in summer now, so it's uh, shorts and podcast t-shirts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's bizarre that you say that because I've been having an email exchange with a friend of mine who lives in Hungary. Um, he's about my age, so that's sort of mid-50s. He's probably a few years older than me, I guess. And we're both, I suppose, British expatriates. And 
I lived in Hungary for several years and, you know, we were, we were friends. We would go out and eat together and drink together. And I suppose as often happens, uh, there was a kind of uniform amongst us all people doing sort of British people in Budapest of that age group. I saw him on a zoom call. It was a zoom call and he, he was wearing a linen shirt, a, a very English looking linen <laughs> shirt. I said, that's very nice. Where did you get that? So he sent me a couple of links to some quintessentially English outfitters. <laughs> so I was sort of looking through them. A couple of things struck me. One, a linen shirt from Jeeves and the Hawk costs quite a lot more than an Under Armour t-shirt, which is what I'm often, <laughs> often wearing. And B, I don't really wear that stuff anymore. I mean, I very, very rarely do I wear long trousers. I mean, it's just, just way too hot for that sort of thing. So it's, it's quite difficult for me to shop on those, those places. Mm -hmm. How things change. I'm, I'm along with everybody else in lockdown. I'm in sort of athleisure, which I never thought I would say that I was a, I was a strong proponent of anything, but athleisure. Yep. Things that I never figured this podcast would go to athleisure clothes. <laughs> Exactly. All right, Stu, let's get us back on target. Okay. Now, what is your pen and ink of the week before we go completely off the rails and lose all of our listeners? Inspired by you, I'm using a lovely uh, fountain pen this week. So Very nice. Um, we're, we're sort of both working through our pen drawers, aren't we? And I pulled out a Faber-Castell. Uh, it's an E-Motion, which is a, it's, a, it's a big, fat pen. And this one is the Black Croc version with a broad nib, obviously for me, and it's got a lot of chrome. So it's a chrome cap and a chrome, whatever you would call the end of a pen. And it's beautiful. <laughs> Writes really well. I've got a, a lovely blue black ink from Diamond oh, in it. That's my kind of color too. Yeah. It's, um, I'd forgotten. Uh, this is probably one of the best steel nibs money can buy, I would say. Mm. Um, and it's, it, it, it feels like a goal. The pen itself is a little bit Marmite because the grip section fails in one sort of central area of a grip section. It doesn't grip. I was going to say, it's a chrome grip, isn't it? Yeah, and it's very smooth. Which makes it slippery. Yeah, so it's very elegant, but I have to adjust my grip to, to ride with it. It's not like you're sweating in uh, 32 degree weather at bedtime. Uh, yeah, exactly. No, without air conditioning, this would be unusable, I suspect. What about you? What are you using this week? Well, in a surprise to, well, nobody except me, um, I'm not using a fountain pen this week, <clears throat> mostly because I was, uh, we're moving in a month. So I started packing up things. And one of the obvious things that I had to pack up is all my stationary stuff. And when you pack up all of your pens and your ink into boxes, you realize the one problem with that on a Sunday, when you come to ink your pen and ink of the week. I don't have any ink that's left out. So I have a choice of going through the fountain pens that are currently inked, which I haven't talked about and used those specifically, but I went a complete 184 this week. I have the beautiful field notes, brand hall rollerball. I know you have one of these too, right? I, I do. I, um, I really wanted to sell them for, uh, Nero's. But they're one of those items that's a co-brand, so Field Notes don't sell them as wholesale. Mm -hmm. The only way I would have been able to sell them through Nero's would have been at some ridiculously high price. So um, I just accidentally put one in one of my orders. <laughs> <laughs> they are gorgeous. So for those that aren't in the know, Brands Hall is a building that I think was demolished in uh, Chicago. 
It was built after the Chicago fire in 1871 and field notes reclaimed the white pine that was used in the building. And from that, they made the body of a pen. It uses a Schneider top ball, 850 0.5 millimeter refill, which is ironically the first time I've ever used this refill. And it is quite nice. It's a wooden pen. It's got an absolutely gorgeous tactile feel, given that the wood on it's, uh, well, it's been harvested for, you know, almost 150 years now. So it is an absolutely gorgeous little pen, limited edition. Mine is, I, I pulled out the box the other day. Mine is number 151 out of 1500 of these. Mm. So if you can find one, I'm not sure if they're still for sale on Field Notes website but they are absolutely gorgeous little pens uh, they're great in the pocket they come with a, a beautiful leather sheath that you can put the pen in and carry it around uh, but really really beautiful do you get to use yours much Stu? just when i saw your notes i thought oh i wonder what number mine is and i was going to surreptitiously sort of start looking which is just podcasting disaster because obviously my mic um <laughs> discipline completely collapses and there's all sorts of sounds as i try and find it unfortunately it says it on the box not on the pen itself even worse so I'm, i was also mentally calculating how long the cable was on my headphones <laughs> and whether i could get to where i keep the boxes and how long you were going to keep talking it's it's the sort of thing that podcasters do we do this mental calculation of can i get to the in my case the fridge and back while tj's talking about something so if it's a pencil yes i mean i can go to the fridge clean it restock it um have a couple of beers and, and still be back in time because uh, you can you can leave TJ going for hours on a pencil. Oh, just kidding, um, TJ. He was fantastic last week. <laughs> uh, well, you, you know, I've got to give him a bit of stick. It's kind of it's kind of my thing. Um, so, do I use it or not? I when I when we were out when we were going out a lot, it was my sort of go to uh, pocket notebook pen. Mm -hmm. If I was using sort of uh, American pocket notebooks, which are not terribly friendly to fancy pens, um, because it's it's kind of for me it's kind of a middle ground between you know a sort of a ballpoint heaven forfend and a fountain pen. That refill um, really is a very smooth refill. It writes very nicely and it puts quite a lot of ink on the page as well. Yeah, surprising for such a, a narrow refill too. Yeah, yeah. So no, I I heartily endorse your recommendation. It's a lovely pen. I mean, it's quite a lot of money. I think from memory, I think it's, it was probably one hundred and sixty dollars or something when I bought it. Don't don't ever talk about money in this podcast, you. <laughs> what if Mrs. L and Mrs. T listen to this? We're we're both in trouble. <laughs> it's okay. Once once Mrs. L knows the uh, the type of stationery, what? No, <laughs> that's how it works. But no. Um, she, she incidentally has just returned and relieved me of the dogs. So there will be, there'll be no barking interruptions for the rest of the podcast. He said confidently. <laughs> I can't say such things on my side. Miss Barky McBark uh, may join us later if she gets it into her head and wakes up. <laughs> right then. So, oh, just as I said it, the little poodle. I heard that. The little poodle is outside expressing her dissatisfaction with the weather, I think. <laughs> So what's our topic for today? Oh, yeah, this, this is one of those rare, rare beasts, Justin. This, is, um, this doesn't happen very often on any podcast that I'm involved with. I chose the topic. So Obsidian Obsession, I've called it, just because, you know, I know TJ likes a sort of rhyming sort of, you know, what, what do you call that? Alliteration, isn't it? Where you, you 
repeat the letter obsidian obsession. Oh, dun, dun, dun. It needs a theme. <laughs> Fortunately, I know a very talented musician who will probably whip one up in between meetings. Uh, did I say I ripped apart my studio and packed that up as well? I have nothing, Stu. I'm sure you can do it with your voice alone. Oh, God. <laughs> um, well, we spoke about uh, PKM, uh, but with personal knowledge management before, and I think we touched upon Obsidian, didn't we, that we were both sort of experimenting with it. Yeah, that's kind of where we ended up. We started talking about PKM, and then it sort of went into the tangent of becoming a bit of a rave about getting into Obsidian, because we'd both just watch, watched uh, Mike Schmidt's presentation on Obsidian. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, also very timely, a couple of days ago as we record, the Sweet Setup released a sort of full-blown course to Obsidian and beyond which I know you've signed up for, uh, I've signed up for. And in fact, I've, I've completed, I want to say, is it volume one or module one? Well, I don't know which, wow. uh, but pro probably a quarter of the course. I'm impressed. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's the sweet setup method. So if you've done courses with those guys before, then you, you kind of know they're quite short videos, which is fantastic, um, for, you know, folks like us who work, mm. um, because you can, you can grab a quick video for six minutes. Um, there's quite a lot of information in it, but there is a, there's a text version as well as the video version. Uh, so for me, that's great. If I just miss something, instead of having to do the whole rewind and all that stuff, I can just pick it out of the text and go, okay. And well, given that Obsidian is at least in part a note-taking app, um, that's a great opportunity to take notes using Obsidian as somebody tells you how to use Obsidian. So yeah, I just did little little snatches of thirty minutes here, thirty minutes there, and boom, I was I was rolling, as it were. Very cool. Um, you know the funny part, and it speaks a lot to us about our different learning styles. I didn't even realize there were videos. I went straight for the long form article that is the detail of the video. Mm -hmm. That's what I was reading in the few modules that I've read. Yeah, it's a it's a transcription. So the the words that Mike says are what appear. Uh, in the in the video, sorry, that appear in the text. I guess I just prefer to digest things through written at my own pace rather than through video, which is odd. And now that I think about it, is very much the way I prefer to learn. Yeah. Um, do you learn a lot by video, or is this uh, something just depending on the on the content? No, I'm trying to learn to learn through video. That was elegantly phrased, if ever it was. I, I'm, I'm like you, I'd rather sit with the text. However, I've learned <laughs> about my learning that watching a video is a great way to get a feel, to get an overview, to get an oversight. Um, and what I really like about the sweet setup is that I can do that and I can reflect upon what's been said and get, you know, the expression from the speaker. But then I can go back and examine the words and, and sort of, you know, scratch my own itch around learning from the text rather than the video. So it's great that you've got both options. Mm -hmm. I think Marco Arment is the one that has screwed up video learning for me. <laughs> and how has, has young Marco managed to do that? Well, I don't know about you, but there is very little that I don't listen to with smart speed and with an accelerated vocal variety. Uh -huh. uh, so, you know, I, I have things sped up 
a 30 to 40 percent i have them all customized depending on which podcast i'm listening to the idea of listening to an audiobook or to a video on youtube to learn anything at a normal pace is just painful <laughs> well i i get what you're saying but the you know short videos so each little section um i'm just watch like i'll tell you what i'll pull it up out of uh out of my obsidian each little section is a four or five minute video and or text for those determined to use text mm -hmm. me and the the, the the certainly the first one that i went through today was all about really and nothing to do with obsidian it was an introduction to pkm mm. what it is what it means and i suppose if i were to guess I think that this may well be the most valuable part of the whole process because the discovery that I've made about obsidian is that obsidian is obsidian and it does some really clever things. Uh, essentially, it's a little wrapper for some, some markdown files. Mm -hmm. The, the key to, to this is, is changing the way that you look at knowledge and notes and well, dare I say it's personal knowledge management, That that's really what you're learning. Ooh. I came to this because you and I had spoken about it. Um, I think we both had a similar experience that we didn't really get much to stick. And then I actually sort of fell upon a project. I, I mentioned it on my blog. We may even have spoken about it on the podcast, but there's a, there's a place called um, Coquina in Cyprus, which is um, it's a little bit of land that has got its own i mean little it's a beachhead with its own un buffer zone so it's sort of isolated within the republic of cyprus so it's it's a real oddity and it's one of those things that that wars and treaties at the end of wars can throw up where you end up with little bits of country that hang out in other bits of country and it just fascinated me that this was still here in 2021 and uh, still existed and I, I thought, oh, I, I want to look into the history of that, which then got me thinking about, oh, I'd like to write a novel about that. As I started doing some basic research, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about look up the Wikipedia articles. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's probably the best place to start. I started thinking, well, I need to, I need to make note. Oh, I know I could try Obsidian for this. And once I was using Obsidian for a specific purpose, it began to make sense to me in a way that it, it hadn't when I was trying to use Obsidian because I want to use Obsidian, mm -hmm. if you see what I mean. Yeah. Once I thought, okay, I have a real purpose here, it's, it started making sense. Linking made sense. So I would be there going, cooking and what happened? And the, the battle that sort of led to this happened in the 60s. Um, but Cyprus wasn't invaded until the mid seventies. So there's this really weird period of 10 years where much of the Turkish population were living in enclaves within Cyprus, gradually being disenfranchised essentially. And for those 10 years, this little island, this little enclave was completely cut off from, uh, the rest of the Turkish population in Cyprus and could only be resupplied by boat. 
So I thought, well, that, that's going to be a fascinating novel. But, well, that's not a novel. I mean, that's, that's a couple of novels. I mean, it's a saga. And then, of course, that led me to the, to the invasion, where there's a lot of documentation around the invasion, what happened, why it happened, how it happened. And then we think, well, you know, would my, would my hero or heroine from Cooking, would they, would they still be around for the invasion? Well, probably. It's only 10 years. Oh, wow. And so then I started linking notes. And then I thought, well, if they were serving in the 60s, hang on, they could have been there in the 50s, which is when Eoka, which is a Cypriot, um, well, when they were losing, it was a Cypriot terrorist organization. When they won, <laughs> it was a Cypriot freedom fighters organization. But it was- Ah, history written by the victors. Yes. So it was, uh, they were the, the, the military wing of Cyprus's independence movement gained independence from, from the UK in 1960. And so again, a fascinating part of history, particularly for someone who lives in Cyprus, you know, well, British to boot. So very quickly, I had a lot of areas that I wanted to look at. And my old version of doing this would have been, I would have, I would have been downloading links probably into an app called Keep It, where mm -hmm. you can download not only links, you can download entire web pages. And then there may have been things from my RSS feed, which I would have then sort of probably preserved in pocket. And I would have written notes or who knows where I would have written notes, probably in drafts. And I have this terrible habit of writing things in drafts. I think I don't know where else to put them. <laughs> I know all about that. Yeah. So the, you know, drafts has all these wonderful actions to, to get things to where they need to be. But unfortunately it ends up being a sort of bucket of swill for me where I've just kept piling things in without taking anything out. Uh, see, I have on my daily shutdown, one of my tasks is to go into drafts and clear it out to avoid that. Yeah. Well, there you go. You see, so now we're getting into workflows, but we'll come back to those in a second. Having obsidian there allowed me to download links Well, not download. That's not the copy links into put smart links, put uh, whatever you call full powered links, snippets and things like that, I guess. In yeah. Um, images, everything you can throw everything into obsidian, particularly if you're competent, I'm not quite competent yet, but I'm getting there. <laughs> but most importantly, I could be writing a note about, okay, 74. So that was the invasion. Where would hero stroke heroin have been? About, oh, I need to look up the battle of Morphu, right? Okay. So bang, another note, battle of Morphu. Go and look at, and the, that's where I suddenly understood these, um, what they, they call it the graph view in Obsidian, where you get the links between all the notes and how it all works together. <laughs> and, you know, lots of people use mind nodes, which have perpetually confused me. I look at, look at those sort of mind mapping images and go, I've got no idea what this means. Now I understood because my ideas were running fast and I was, as I was jotting things down, I go, okay, right. And Obsidian does have a, a very straightforward and simple way of creating that sort of expansion. So Battle of Morphu, by the way, before anybody calls in, I, I'm not sure if there is a Battle of Morphu. It was just a name that I pulled from the air. I could immediately double bracket Battle of Morphu and it, it creates a note for me called the Battle of Morphu. And I can go then to the Battle of Morphu, um, Wikipedia, put the link in, find a book that talks about, you know, put the link in and start building up a map for my own research and also my own thoughts. And 
I've got to say, for the first time in a long time, I got really excited about a tool and was really enjoying using it mm-hmm. uh, and finding it, to say it's um, instinctive, I think overstates it, but having done the grounding, uh, the same uh, seminar that you attended, I, I kind of thought, oh yeah, we did talk about that. Was it a double bracket or a squirrely bracket? And I had to do a little bit of research to work out how to do things again. but very quickly it's becoming very natural to me so i'm very excited about it hmm, interesting so i'm assuming you created a brand new vault for this one project uh well the vault that i had before i'd taken the alternative route from you because i know you started importing things i didn't so my other vault hmm. was essentially empty so i've all i've done is created a folder in, in this vault. Now I did create another vault, but that's for another reason. That's for syncing because the iOS version has been released, et cetera, et cetera. But no, I'm still in one vault. I was going to ask you about that, but ask away. Where are you storing your vault? Because the iOS challenge with that, uh, they've got the app out now. It has to be synced in some weird iCloud folder that is not where I would logically go to it and that I'm not particularly comfortable with. Uh, what are you using for uh, your storage locations? The weird iCloud vault. <laughs> you can do it through Obsidian's sync process, but it's it's a little bit awkward right now. Mm. Um, you have to to do things, and you have to open you know open folders and uh, files with the same name to make things work. Pro- and I got a bit nervous about how I would. Well, for want of a better phrase, screw that up. For the moment, all of my the work that I'm doing in Obsidian is not something that I feel needs to be end-to-end encrypted. Mm-hmm. If somebody finds my notes about uh, a series of books on Cyprus, hell, I've just spoken about them in, on a podcast, so <laughs> I'm not keeping these things secret. If I were keeping very confidential things up there, business things, things relating to other people, then um, I would probably hang fire on the whole syncing thing for the moment. Because syncing, the the way it syncs through iCloud is you lose that end-to-end encryption, I believe. iCloud is encrypted, but not in quite the same way. I think that's right. Um, I'm sure somebody will tell me if it isn't. Uh, iCloud, I believe, is encrypted, but the backups aren't. Yeah. That's it. Or something weird like that. There is, yeah, yeah. there is something with iCloud that is not necessarily encrypted. Maybe it's uh, it's not stored in an encrypted way, but yes, I, I know exactly what you mean. Um, I'm less concerned about that. Uh, I'm more concerned about putting everything in iCloud and not having a physical backup of that. Right now for Obsidian, I have everything in my documents folder. My documents folder is downloaded and uh, backblazed and uh, put time machined and everything like that. Once I start getting to these mythical iCloud drives, I I worry that everything is going to live in Apple's cloud system, which I've been on Apple long enough to not 100% trust it. Mm -hmm. And, And that is where I think my nerves come into that a little bit. Sure. And I mean, I think that's, um, that's a, an issue that your, our generation will struggle with forever. And there are, there are some younger people listening to this podcast going, what did he just say? Yeah. Once burned, twice shy. Is that the way that we uh, would say it? Uh, well, it would be inaccurate because I'm sure we've been burned more than once. Uh, yeah, exactly. 
However, the reality is that um, I've, I've also been burnt by doing 98% of the work, but forgetting to do the last 2%. So having wonderful backup systems and then not testing them. <laughs> I had to test uh, Backblaze a few months ago because of an iCloud glitch. That's why I'm very nervous about it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I use Backblaze and also. Not carbon copy clone, the other one <laughs> was, so I had a clone of the drive, but I can't do that now with anyone. Or maybe I can now, maybe things have caught up. I don't know. I also have my file sync to two computers too. So there's my immediate built-in redundancy. Uh, well, yeah, I'll be doing that myself soon. Oh, is the laptop on a way? Yeah. The laptop is, well, uh, the laptop is in fact today in Nero's HQ in UK. Oh, I don't tell Claire what's in that package. You might not get it. <laughs> One thing that Claire has no interest in is anything electronic. Are you lucky? All right, let's get back to Obsidian. So you just have one vault then yep. for all of this. And there is this wonderful story that you're creating in there. And I can certainly see that this is yeah, a historical novel with research. I love the idea. This is really the text case of where obsidian is is meant for i'm really interested to see what your graph view looks like mm. with all of the connections to that because i i'm guessing everything has quite a lot of connections from one to the other yeah and i mean the i, I got going with that and then today doing the taking notes on the the first part of the course i took one 10 12 notes maybe and again the reason i've done that is with in the course, a thing called Atomic Notes. Just doing that has really helped me understand. It's sort of, I suppose, learning by doing. One, one of the sections, breaking free from the filing cabinet. Okay, so I noted this makes for a digital hoarders and it has unseen drawbacks. Mm -hmm. uh, what does it mean? It's saving everything just in case and then finding things with search. So the problem with that is that it requires think then find. Whereas a personal acknowledgement, uh, I've made a word up, a personal knowledge management system surfaces. I think we have a show title, Stu. <laughs> Indeed. Surfaces the info just when you need it. And it borrows essentially from the Zettelkasten system. So the value is in the connection and curation of ideas. The bi-directional backlink can be added after the fact, works both ways. Mm -hmm. So that's the note that I took of what was being said to me. Uh, and then as we went through the module, I realized that I, I now need to add to that and go, what do I think of that? So does that, does that chime with me? Do I think he's talking nonsense? Do I think there's bits of this that I don't quite get? Zettelkasten, would I speak to him if I met him? You know, all of these types of things. And that's the difference is rather than just taking a note of what somebody has said to me, the, the, the course, the, the PKM as presented by Mike and the, the suite setup is be opinionated and add that into the note. And so that sort of filing cabinet approach, which is, he would argue how people have traditionally taken notes, mm -hmm. then links through to some other notes like note making. So then you get into note making versus note taking. And again, it's more, it's, it's more a case of adding your own thought to the input that you're receiving. 
And that, I think, is probably the thing that has struck me the most. Um, I dare say it'll be exciting to learn how about how you can use templates and settings and all of that sort of stuff. But in reality, the thing that I need to change is my mindset about how I keep notes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I find that very interesting, very refreshing because, you know, let's face it, I'm, I'm old and it's nice to still be learning stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, okay, challenging the way I think. So your new notes that you took on from the course, are they in the same vault as your new working no- novel? Yes. Interesting. So you're just going to build up your knowledge base as you go from scratch, basically. Yeah. And the way that I'm looking at sort of uh, older notes is to think, okay, if I start writing about, for example, I wrote a note on creativity today. So where I've written stuff before about creativity, either on the blog or uh, even in my, my personal notes. And so I will, as part of my review system, go, okay, let me look at that blog post that I wrote about creativity and import that in and link it so that I can see what I thought, how I now think, whether there's a difference. And there's a concept called a, um, an MOC note, which is a, um, a map of content. So I might have a note called MOC creativity, which is, if you like, a summary of my thinking around creativity, which then links out to all the notes that mention creatives. Uh, so that's the way that I'll import. I'm not going to import for the sake of importing because um, I think, as you said, the, the idea of then sort of working through reams and reams of notes, some of which may no longer be relevant to, to create backlinks, um, looks, looks like a chore or feels like a chore rather than um, something positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's kind of where I am with Obsidian because I've done that and I'm having, well, I, I'm using it for current writing, but I've not quite found the key to it yet that works for me. Mm-hmm. What what it feels like to me is, uh, and I'm just looking at my graph view, and I have clusters of notes. So I have a big circle with all these dots on it. I'll try to put a link in the show notes actually to this, if anybody's interested. I have a, a big graph that is, uh, I'm not sure what kind of graph they call this, Stu. Do you, do you know? Uh, but no, it's just the graph view is all I, all I know it as. Yeah. So it's, uh, basically it's a, every, every note is a day is a dot on the graph. And when the notes start linking, you start seeing lines between them. And what I'm seeing on mine is I've got a big circle of all my notes and then I've got one, two, three, four, five sort of six central hubs where all of the notes link. But after that, they don't really link to anything else. Mm -hmm. There's the occasional link out, but I feel like I've got, you know, and, and this is true, you know, using it as a, as a filing cabinet view for me. I have, you know, different folders on my podcast. Each podcast has its own set of notes. My websites, you know, each website has its own set of notes. And I wanted to bring that in that way, but I'm not sure that I'm getting any crossover from that. They feel like I've got indistinct folders. Sure. Yeah. I th- I think I, I understand what you're saying. I mean, in. Mike Schmitz, if I can put words in his mouth, would possibly say to you, well, you know, do, do podcast show notes live here. 
or actually our podcast show notes quite happy somewhere else because that that's more of an archive probably than than anything active i mean you may refer back to i don't know i'm putting words in your mouth now but the the message that i got today was very much about you know you might take well he actually gave stats so in his daily close down uh he has a similar workflow to you and says right okay i'm now going to look at what actually goes from my from my inboxes into obsidian so he he will have notes in his notebook or he might have them in drafts but he reckons that only 20 percent will actually make it through into obsidian mm-hmm. so it's a it's a case then of decide that he's very very vocal about being rational about why you might put something into obsidian if you can't see a reason then don't i mean i think you and i both probably have a tendency to go okay so obsidian is now going to do everything and it it probably can't and it probably shouldn't Mm -hmm. it's hard for me having listened to mike schmidt for the last couple years before he got on the obsidian train uh, he was a lifetime subscriber to rome and heavily into the rome infrastructure yeah the cult of rome so, uh, you know, I, I think he's using it differently than I am. You know, he's mm-hmm. paid to do a job he's doing almost a bit, I would assume, like your novel. He's doing research, he's collecting the research, and then he's creating content out of that. And I can really see that that is a great use of Obsidian. And certainly if if I was going to do something like that, I would give it a serious consideration. What I'm looking at is I have my knowledge base, all of the writing that I've done, all of the notes that I've taken. And what I wanted to be able to do is draw connections between their show notes. You brought that up as do they need to be in there? Is that just an archive problem? Hmm. What I'd really like to be able to do is to look back and say, at this point, where else did I talk about this? Where was this subject brought up in these different spots? And that's where I'm hoping Obsidian and the backlinking can do that. Yep. Is that I can find themes in there. And, you know, is there a particular fountain pen? Well, that goes from my personal writing uh, on write experience to the podcast that we talk about it here uh, to my own personal notes on things that I've taken, you know, whether that's from purchases or you know inks or whatever that i've done i want to be able to find some way that i can trace all of those things right now the problem i've got is that this is as you said very manual it is great to sort of call you're almost calling writing bankruptcy and starting from scratch and just importing only what you need in the in the suite setup way is is that a fair way to say that i don't think he has said that um, I think I have said that to understand how Obsidian works and how to make it work for me, mm-hmm. the easiest way was to say, right, okay, I'm going to start with a project and that project then creates an understanding and some momentum. So I'm looking at my graph view. I've got sort of a, like you, I've got a hub. Um, called To Obsidian and Beyond, which is the the title of the course. And from that, I have things like what is a PKM, creativity, how do I create a workflow, atomic notes, value of notes, and some links going between them. And I think 
as I'm learning now, there, I'm looking at some of my notes going, I need to retitle that note. I need to retitle that note because notes like creativity, I think that's good because I can see where that will link through something that says personal knowledge management. Again, I can see where that will link through things that say, what have I got one here called, how do I create a note taking workflow? Hmm, that's, that's not a great title. A, it's too long and B it, it's difficult to see how that's going to add value for me. That's either about workflow or it's about note taking, or it might be about both. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I want to try and find a way that I can say, okay, so creativity, what, what else have I done about creativity? And then bring pieces of knowledge in that I think will help with that. But I'm not going to throw away everything I've done in the past, and I'm not going to import everything into Obsidian mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm, I'm doing it on a, a sort of learning basis. And I think this will evolve. I think it's very, very much his message and my message, just trying to think through with you how, how I'm going to use this. The, the evolution of the note is very much an important part of it. And the, that in itself will create the evolution of the folder or the vault, you know, depending on whatever system you're using. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I know you're attracted to it and I'm attracted to it because it's just a collection of markdown files and they can essentially sit in many, 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 many different formats. Unlike something like Rome or, um, dare I say it, Notion, which has always struck me as some sort of form of black magic. Yeah. Where your data, you just throw it in and somebody else is in control of it. <laughs> I, and that's part of, again, why I like the idea of having Obsidian in my documents folder that's backed up rather than trusting it to iCloud, just because, uh, you know, it's my data. I don't want it to go somewhere. I don't want Obsidian to go away. I don't want Notion to go away or be sold or mm-hmm. uh, be updated. Um, I just got an email for Evernote. Uh, I still have my free Evernote that I've had for God knows how long. And now that's a task manager because they're constantly evolving it. But you know, how do I access the data that I put in there some while ago? I was never a big Evernote user, but certainly things like that, once they get in there, you have a bit of a lock-in situation for sure. And I think the one advantage of Obsidian is you don't have that. I have a set of files that I can then search from, you know, any of the search utilities that I use the search programs for advanced searching for the way I'm doing it. They're also in logical folders. And I know that's not the way that uh, sweet setup is recommending it, but it kind of works the way my mind works is this enterprise, this this project needs to be here and I know where it is and I can go, go look at that collection of stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, for, from, from my understanding thus far, the suite setup is pretty relaxed about all of that type of stuff. Perhaps I haven't got to the right bit yet, but yeah, I use folders. The only way I could sort of visually cope with this before folder, the idea of having, you know, 10,000 notes without some sort of organization would, would just be impossible for me to look at. I think uh, that's cause we're old. Yeah, I guess so. We're, we're old and we grew up uh, before search was a thing. Yeah. You know, in, in the old days, uh, a CD change directory and all of those DOS things that we used to have to learn and navigate around that still, I think, uh, influences the way I work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sure it probably does to you as well as having things in some sort of logical folder. And also I'm lousy at searching half of the time, you know, particularly emails. 
I know there's arguments between archiving and foldering old emails, mm -hmm. but oh my gosh, if I'm trying to find things by search, it never seems to work. Yeah. I mean, the separate, separate episode on its own, you know, just put it in archive and search is great. If you're using Gmail, if you're using anything by Microsoft, it doesn't work. If you're using anything by Apple, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. because search on, on mail and search on Outlook, and I can tell you from personal experience today, is awful. <laughs> and I do remember when I would use Gmail, I, yep, you could find it in an instant. Um, and the cynic in me thinks that's because they wanted to find it in an instant. <laughs> I'm still not sure. Well, yes, I don't use the Gmail web face app because that's just ugly. But I'm, I'm assuming, yeah, I use uh, Gmail within Apple. So I guess, uh, you're probably right that it is the Apple search that is creating the problems. Uh, Gmail though, I, in, in general for searching because of the volume of email that I have, if I search for a specific term, the chances are that that search is going to come up with that term multiple times in different conversations. And that's why I still like archiving. But anyway, we're getting onto a different subject, so we won't go there. <laughs> Talking, my dog is barking at the door. Stand by. Ah, <laughs> oh, thrown out by their mother. Oh my gosh. Overheating, they decided to come here and they're now, they're now drinking water, looking out, thinking, oh great, I'll be able to see the driveway and bark at the garden while staying cool. <laughs> <sighs> no podcasting discipline, these dogs. Hey, at least they're not sitting on your lap in 32 degree weather. <laughs> right. Well, I think we've probably seen this one off. I mean, I'll report back on how I get on with Obsidian. And I, I take your point that there's this trying to, to understand how to, well, no, I think the importing of those knowledge banks that we both have, I suppose inevitably involves a bit of filtering where we have to say, okay, of all these notes that I kept, because I'm sure that we both have the element at least of being digital hoarders. Mm -hmm. Is it one in 10 of those that need to come across? And are we prepared to do the work, um, to work out which nine don't? And I suppose most importantly, you know, can we let those nine go, which I'm sure the answer to that is no, they will always exist somewhere, but that, that I think will be the key challenge for me next as, as I get rolling with this is to work out how to, to make use of that knowledge that, that's been built up mm -hmm. that doesn't currently exist within the system I'm using. Mm -hmm. Cool. Interesting. Ah, this has been a good conversation just to help clarify obsidian in my, in my own mind, because I'm, I'm trying, I've, as I say, I've got this big, big multiple, uh, folder section that's set up in there and I just it just doesn't drive the way that I was hoping it was going to. Mm. And this may just be that I brought too much in. So what are your takeaways for this, Stu? Uh, well, the takeaway I'm taking directly from, uh, from Mike Schmitz, personal knowledge management. It's personal. One size won't fit all. Mm -hmm. Um, so the other point that he made the, or the ex expansion of this point is that you don't have to do everything in one app. Um, there'll, there'll be lots of apps that, that we use. Some people find using, uh, drafts, a brilliant sort of inbox for thoughts and ideas. Uh, some people, I dare say like me or you use, use notebooks or note cards. That's fine. 
you know, that those are all completely valid. And you might like writing in Ulysses. Well, that's fun, fantastic. There's nothing wrong with that. What, what we're trying to do with a personal knowledge management system is find and create a system that data can flow up and down that system and to try and make it as seamless as possible. It doesn't mean that we're trying to find one app to do it all because that app probably doesn't exist unless you're a very talented coder and you can make your own. Mm. What about you, JT? What's your takeaway? So I'm just looking at Obsidian as we talk and as I'm listening. What I'm going to do as I work through this course, because obviously, like you, I'm signed up for it, quite excited about it as soon as I have time, which time is somewhat of a limitation at the moment with uh, packing everything up. Sure. But what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to try starting from scratch. I'm going to start a brand new vault just for the notes from this course, just to see if doing that helps gel the process much the way it has for you with doing the research for the new novel. Mm. Uh, I want to see if there's a way that I can get that understanding of Obsidian so that I can come back to the, the current vault that I have and make better organization of it. Because at the moment I do feel that it is uh, basically it's a, a stuffed filing cabinet and each drawer is something completely different. And what I'd really like to do is, is make it into just one big drawer that everything lines up, you know, a proper Zettel casting. Sure. I, I'm just not sure how to do that yet. It's not gelled with me. Uh, and again, I think my problem talking to you today is that I brought in everything. So mm. my takeaway is don't be afraid to start from scratch and filter your input before you, you bring that all in rather than do the, what I did and just bring everything in and hope for the best and try to make order of it after the fact, which as you rightly pointed out becomes a chore and not something that I've wanted to do much more than organizing into, um, folders and subfolders, uh, so that it is organized in, in a, in a hierarchical system, but not. Uh, necessarily through all the connections that I think is where the, the value of obsidian is. So it's going to be a learning process for me, Stu. Yeah. Me and you both, sir. Cool. Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, we well, can find me at stuartlennon.com where you'll find, uh, my writing, uh, and a membership scheme if you're that way inclined. Uh, and also at nerosnotes.co.uk where you can find all manner of wonderful stationery for sale. And if you aren't a subscriber to Stu's website and read his writing, I woke up to the most hilarious complaint that I think we all have had over shrinking clothes this morning. So, <laughs> uh, definitely support Stu and get access to his writing, his wonderful new novel that is coming out weekly and his humorous views on life from Cyprus. As for me, you can find me at justintwyfer.com. Writeexperience.com is where I write about stationery. Both of those are probably going to be a little dormant for a while. This move is quite daunting. There's a lot of work to do. Uh, you can also find us at stationeryjason.com. Please like and review us on your podcast catcher of choice. We appreciate your recommendations to friends and colleagues, and we really, really appreciate your shout out on other podcasts. 
Until next time, goodbye and stay productive. Yes, us.